Hi friends, Ian McFadden here, one of the pastors at St. Mo's in the heart of Baltimore City. And this is our daily podcast called Every Day with St. Mo's. We're doing this during the lockdown period of this COVID-19 pandemic in an effort to keep us connected to one another and deeply rooted in Jesus during this unusual time. I want to read two short verses from the New Testament letter Ephesians to get us started and then tell you a little story. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and then chapter 5, verse 20, both in the NLT version. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This is chapter 5, verse 20. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those passages, as well as others, uh, are allegedly behind the lyric to the song Count Your Blessings, an old hymn published at the end of the 19th century by a man named Johnson Oatman Jr. Many of you will be familiar with that hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. So a good chance you've heard of a group of English evangelicals uh, the early part of the 19th century known as the Clapham sect or the Clapham Saints. They were, most of them, people who enjoyed a good deal of influence and privilege. However, it wasn't so much their privilege that drew them together, but rather their common trust in Jesus and their eagerness to see the life of Jesus influence their lives in ways that would transform the social atmosphere and policy in the United Kingdom of the time. They set their considerable talents and resources toward transformation in a number of spheres, from uh, penal reform to uh, prostitution to uh, manners across the United Kingdom, uh, and most famously to uh, eventually to the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade. The name most often associated with the Clapham sect is William Wilberforce. And one thing that you probably don't know about this Clapham sect is that they are largely responsible for uh, the popularity in um, late Edwardian and uh, early Victorian England of the empire waistline dress. If you don't know what that is, uh, you might have to Google image search or something, but it's one of those high-waisted dresses. And those came into fashion uh, under the leverage of the Clapham sect for a very specific reason, and that is this. Uh, At the time, men of considerable means were were usually expected to lead sort of a double life. They had uh, their wife, who would be kept in a country residence somewhere and he would visit her occasionally and it was with her that he would give birth to quote-unquote legitimate heirs Uh, but most of the man's life was conducted in the city and it was well understood that in the city he would have uh, any number of mistresses and the mistresses Uh, were not to get pregnant, or if they did get pregnant, uh, they would soon be put away because uh, pregnancy was unfashionable. And 
this Clapham sect valued fidelity, marital fidelity. They valued life and they valued family together. And so with incredible imagination and creativity, one of the ways they went about transforming the society was to push the popularity of a dress that was very flattering on most pregnant women, uh, as I, I guess most clothing is, is not um, comfortable, uh, doesn't fit well for women who are pregnant in uh, Edwardian and Victorian England, but the empire waistline was very flattering. And so all of a sudden it became um, much more acceptable and even fashionable for women to be pregnant in public and thereby for women to be pregnant in public and with their husbands. And uh, this was all part of a grand program of bolstering family fidelity, marital fidelity, and uh, the strength of the family unit. And I just find that incredibly creative and imaginative uh, and really inspiring. I want to tell you a little bit more about one of the members of the Clapham sect, a woman named Hannah Moore. Uh, and she was uh, a real creative in her own right, a playwright, a philanthropist, a writer. She has one book uh, called The Spirit of Prayer that I've been reading. And it's a quote from that book that I want to read you now. This is what she says. She's talking about the mercies of God that we see each day. And she says, the apostle, speaking of Paul, stirs us up to the duty of keeping before our eyes these mercies. And then she goes on to say, these mercies succeed each other so rapidly, or rather are crowded upon us so simultaneously that if we do not count them as they are received and record them as they are enjoyed, their very multitude, which ought to penetrate the heart more deeply, will cause them to slip out of the memory. I know that was a mouthful, but let me simplify it and then come back to it. When I think of the phrase, count your blessings, I think if I've had a rough day, I need to sit down at the end of it and sift back through the day and remember one or two or three spots where I have seen God's faithfulness and kindness and generosity and hold on to those things. Uh, and that gives me gratitude and that's a mood improver. And Hannah Moore's take on it is you don't count your blessings because there are so few of them that you have to go hunting and pecking in order to find them. She says you count your blessings because they, ex they succeed each other so rapidly, or rather are crowded upon us so simultaneously, that if we do not count them as they are received and record them as they are enjoyed, their very multitude, which ought to penetrate our heart more deeply, will cause them to slip out of the memory. So the reason 
we don't remember all of these mercies is because there are so many and they are coming at us so rapid fire. If we don't keep track of them in real time, we simply won't keep track of them. And I thought that is an incredibly grateful lens with which to walk into the world. And it isn't just that she was a, a glass half full type of woman. The preamble to this book tells us that Hannah Moore was writing this on her deathbed, or what she assumed was her deathbed, racked with pain and illness and able, uh, hardly able to get out of her bed. And yet she says these mercies succeed each other so rapidly. And I read that and I thought, I bet there is a profound, deep connection between living life with this sort of gratitude, this sort of eager willingness to see God at work every moment of the day, between that and between the sort of breadth of Christian imagination that can invest years in transforming the fashion industry in ways that are friendlier for women and friendlier for the family and that promote marital fidelity. I thought, wow, gratitude leads to Christian imagination. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts to see the ways that you are being so merciful and kind and compassionate to us right now. Even as hard as things are, and things are really, really hard for some people right now. Devastating. And yet, even in the midst of that, you are being merciful and kind. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see those things, and that you would expand with our gratitude, expand our imaginations. As we see that you are at work, that we might dare to work alongside you, dare to try new things with and for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.